From St. Louis, Missouri, this is Strangers to Fiction, a podcast all about documentary storytelling from documentary filmmakers. My name is Jacob McIndoller. My name is Phil Streeter, and today we're going to be talking about the 2008 documentary Dear Zachary by Kirk Kenny. Charismatic. Opinionated. Really a good storyteller. He had a presence. He had the worst possible gas. It's going to be a great doctor. <laughs> well, the phrase I was going to use had been uh, full of life. Do you know who that is? Andrew. Why did Andrew get killed? I'm an only child, and I'll get around to why this is of any importance whatsoever. When I had to say, was my son murdered? And take that into your soul. And then to know how cold-bloodedly he was murdered. He wanted to break up with her. Oh, she said, that's it then. She was dumped again. Unfortunately, she made it to Canada before they could arrest her. On the afternoon of November 7th, 2001, my sister called to tell me that Dr. Andrew Bagby, my closest friend since the age of seven, had been killed. My name's Kurt, and I'm a filmmaker. Andrew appeared in every movie I made growing up. Jesus Christ. Kurt, what do you want? I mean, no, no, I just need... I'm, I'm just... I decided to make a movie to travel far and wide to interview everyone who ever knew and loved Andrew. I just got a call from Mrs. Bagby. The abbreviated version is that bitch uh, held a press conference and announced that she's four months pregnant with Andrew's baby. They can't prove it until the child's born. If it is true, the Bagbys are going to sue for custody. She named the little boy Zachary. To seek custody of the only grandson they would ever have, Andrew's parents moved to St. John's, Newfoundland, where Shirley Turner was unbelievably allowed to walk free on bail while awaiting extradition. In order to see Zachary, Kate and David were forced to stomach a civil relationship with the woman they knew murdered their only son. I now had a mission. My movie might be one of the only ways Zachary could see and get to know his father. So I pointed the van east toward Newfoundland and set off on a quest to bring a man back to life. Since you've been gone, I've lost my cleverness. Here we go again, take two. Um, so we're going to talk about Dear Zachary today, and the reason I wanted, and we have bowls here. Today. My name is Bulls McLean. I'm here as well. Hey, Bulls. And the reason I wanted Bulls here today and I want to talk about this is because when we recorded our podcast about our top five true crime documentaries, this was my number two on the list, and neither of you had ever seen it, so I wanted to hear what both of you thought. I guess we should say that we're doing this for the second time now, so we actually recorded this podcast once already, and my head We lost the recording. Yeah, it was a major screw-up on my part, actually. I figured out what happened I, uh, when I tilted the screen back to look at my notes. Remember when I did that? I don't know if you remember when I did that. Mm -mm. It unplugged the the component cable from the back of the thing. <laughs> so that's when that. it happened. Well, and we figured it out about yeah. 45 we minutes into the podcast. After we recorded the entire thing. After we recorded pre-intro uh, pre banter, and that was all that was left of the entire so, podcast. But we did have a very good discussion about this, but we're going to do it. We're going to try it again. It was excellent pre-show yeah. banter. I <laughs> yeah. must say. But I wanted to say before we get into this, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, but especially for this film, uh, we will talk about spoilers. Uh, and this movie has some major 
twists and turns in yeah. it. And so a lot if, of documentaries, I feel like you could reveal a lot about what happens in the documentaries, and you still want to go see it. Yeah. But this is one of those things where there are some major twists and turns in this story where that are really surprising. And if if you if we told you about them, we're going to talk about them. And if you know about them before you see the movie, then it it really could probably spoil. And, and this is one what what because you do think you kind of know the story and you, you don't get the there's a there is a bomb in the middle where you're just audibly like oh my god I mean I remember yeah. saying that out loud yeah and not, so, I, I just and got I, chills thinking about it that's yeah. how, so how much of an impact until this it has. point. <laughs> If you have not seen this movie yet, you should stop this, go watch the movie, then come back and listen to what we're going to do. Yeah, and I think we'll say, because we had this discussion, we all sort of already know how we feel about it, and I think we all really loved this movie, so it's yeah. definitely no, worth your time. it's an exceptional movie, and everybody should go see it anyway, even if you don't come back and listen to us talk about it. So a little bit of background. So you mentioned in the opening that it's directed by Kurt Kenny, and Kurt Kenny, if you look on the Wikipedia for this, you know, on the side of the Wikipedia, it tells you, like, uh, directed by, produced by, written by, music by, cinematography by, edited by, all the same guy. Yeah. Kurt Kenny did all and of I this. And I think it's important that you, how do you spell his name? K-U-E-N-N-E. Yeah, so that's not, like, when you say Kurt Kenny, this is one of my my yeah. problems with some, some sometimes people talk about things in audio and they forget to spell out some weird spelling when it sounds like Kenny, I would think K E N N Y. Right. It's yeah. not spelled it's, out. No, it's it's a it's an odd, unusual spelling. So, so the the background of this is that Kurt had a, a best friend of his named Andrew Bagby. They grew up together and Andrew Bagby was was murdered by Shirley Turner, who was his his girlfriend. And that's sort of the introduction to this story and that Kurt Kenny goes well uh, there's a lot about my good friend that I didn't know about and I want to make a documentary talking to all of the people that knew him really well so I can you know kind of put his life together and then you start then you start getting into the twists and turns and we did talk about before and I'm sure we will again is the way that this movie kind of shifts gears throughout like his motivation yeah. to make the movie it starts off as one thing then it goes into another and then it goes into a whole nother thing yeah and you know the funny thing about this is that it's something that just occurred to me and i we've already had conversations about this movie so it's funny that new stuff is occurring to me now about it but one of the things that just occurred to me is when you go into this it's very just watching it right off the bat like within the first 10 minutes or the first five minutes maybe or so i was just like a little bit like skeptical of this movie because it looks i mean there's a lot of home movie footage it's very mm-hmm. kind of i wouldn't say the production value is super high throughout it was probably all shot in mini dv mini but, dv and, and, and 16, 16 millimeter and 16 yeah. millimeter and but when you're at the beginning of this movie you're just like oh this is a tribute to his friend that got murdered by his girlfriend i'm 15 minutes in like i if i was a little bit skeptical up until that point mm-hmm. but and I think it's a little bit like it's sort of a testament to like how um, oh, I don't know what the how how do you say it like kind of subversive not subversive but like it's it sort of takes you by surprise in that respect because it sort of starts to come off a little bit like just a home movie tribute something you'd see at a funeral maybe right, at the beginning right. and then and then and then like twenty minutes into it, it's like okay so we've already had a murder and we know who did it like what else is right the that's story? that that you seems know? to be the end so, of it right there. Yeah. And it's pretty clear. It's like, who wait did a minute, it. we're only twenty minutes in. What else could happen? You know? In a letter to the son of the dead, uh, the dead subject. Yeah, yeah. In a letter. Yeah. So we'll just kind of, I mean, we can kind of reveal some of this stuff already, because basically what happens is that the girl that killed Andrew Bagby, uh, she fled to Canada 
to St. John's, Newfoundland, where she was originally from, and uh, they were trying to extradite her, and then she announced that she was pregnant with Andrew's son, who was born and named Zachary. So this movie went from, hey, I'm going to tell a story about my, my friend, to I want to tell a story about my friend to his son that is never going to meet him. Yes. So that's why the, the film is titled Dear Zachary, and it changes into that. Hey, uh, Zachary, here's a... The background about your son, but the, the and, and it's all done in this really fast, yeah, storytelling style that's so engaging and so interesting. I it's think that's when very dense. He, it's, it's very heavily yeah, audio. He delivers video a lot editing. of information really quickly, and, and he does it so cleverly well too. Because well we've talked extensively about the editing before, and we probably will again because that's one of the, the the most amazing things about this film. We did, is, but nobody's going to hear. I know. About so, <laughs> but but the editing on this is amazing. Like I mean, it, like you said, it moves really really fast, uh, and he takes times whenever he goes and he. Um, you know, he's doing some background things. He'll speed up his narration. He puts a little ticking clock in there to kind of give it a, oh a, a God, sense yeah. of speed. But yeah, it's just, there's so much information. But he does like it. odd things where he just slows things down. Mm-hmm. Or you stops. I thought, so, the, I thought it glitched. It's such there's, a, there's a couple stops where I thought the thing glitched a little bit. And I was like, oh, he's really taking a, a very dramatic pause. I think it's a master class. Like anybody that's interested in film editing or documentary editing, I wouldn't suggest you go watch this in Ape This Guy style, but you should go watch this and see a very clear editing voice and how mm-hmm. editing has elevated the story and made it... Because it, it, the editing's far and above... He made this on a no-strings budget. He shot on a mini-DV. He shot at the best technology he could afford at the time that he made this personal film, mm-hmm. probably with his own money. So he had a mini DV camera and he had a wind-up 16-millimeter camera. Very so the production value is not no. high, but the editing lifts all that way above because it, it mm. it's so key to the storytelling. And that's what I thought. I mentioned when we did the, the top five true crime documentaries that when I talked about this one, I said, this is a film that's not necessarily about production value it's not about how beautiful these shots are set up or or the lighting or no, anything about that it's, it's the condensed contact and really any good documentary is not never really about that yeah, anyway yeah but it's really because we i mean you yeah. see that so two of the main characters in this are uh kate and david they're andrew's parents and they do a few different interviews with them but when you look at the way that that's even framed and set up like it, it kind of i think you made a good point and we didn't I, I didn't think about this before but it kind of looks like something that you would record for a, for a funeral or something yeah. right yeah. it's not really well, like that's what it was meant to be <laughs> yeah that's how it's yeah. the, how the, the original that was the original conception mm-hmm. of this project was that his friend died everybody was devastated he he decides to make he's like i gotta do something he's a filmmaker wanted to be a filmmaker yeah. since he was a kid he picks up his camcorder and goes to the funeral and decides to record tributes. I, I mean, think honestly, that's an where accomplished filmmaker as a child. He made, uh, I mean, seemingly dozens of films. Yeah. On well, that's video. what makes this film so great is because, in, in Bill, you mentioned the home videos, is this guy, Kurt Kenny was... That was his film school. Like, yeah. He, that was, he He was a practiced, well-developed filmmaker. And he grew up, he grew up making films... With this subject. With Andrew as, like, his main actor. And he says yeah. Andrew was in every one of his films. So you have oh so God, much yeah. footage of Andrew from like a little boy to yeah. getting older. And so the, he t- and he takes all of that and incorporates that in with these mini DV uh, interviews that he's done. Oh, and, and now he's like the nicest guy in the world. But well, he gets to uh, be the villain. He loved playing the villain, <laughs> and he gets to smoke and <laughs> yeah. swear in front. I'm like in front of his see parents. This little boy puffing on a cigarette right on the screen. Like, 
Wow. Yeah, he got to he got to he got to smoke and swear in front of his parents, and then they started getting Kate and David in it, and you can see like Kate and David. <laughs> what are you going to yell your penis on the air for? I don't know if you heard that bit of audio from the dad yelling at his son, uh, yelling at the, the. Yeah, I remember that. That's hilarious. But that's just what makes it so great is having all of that footage of this kid growing up. So you get a really and and all he did. You know, I went, I wonder if somebody went through and counted how many different people he interviewed, like just. Andrew's friends, because mm-hmm. this guy is, was very, huge, very no, well liked. Huge number of yeah. interviews, and he was That's very right. well liked. Everybody loved him. Everybody thought he was like the greatest guy. When you watch it, you start to kind of go like, "Man, I wish I was this guy's friend." He was such a, yeah. a great, great guy. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, obviously he had a you know a, a plethora of a behind the scenes and and footage of him throughout the years uh, in these various projects that he did. Um, and you do get to see the dad and the mom, I guess, interact. The mom slaps a kid, I guess. Was that was that uh, Andrew himself? That he, there's one there's <laughs> footage of the mom slapping a fully grown teenage boy. And, and yeah, I, I mean, like, you should be clear though. She's slapping it as oh, in character, in of character. A narrative. Yeah, she's not. But I'm like, wow, they really you know grappled these parents in on these uh, crazy projects. And everybody loved these parents, and like I said, they became the main characters, and they eventually. They move, so he. They're from California. They're from like the San Jose, Silicon yeah. Valley. I think. We, kind of well, area. I mean, we're going to talk about the whole. St- well, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you want to approach this, but like, I, should we assume everybody's watched a movie at this point? If yeah, yeah. If you haven't like watched a, the movie, then so I think we're going to skip around. We can skip around. I think. At this yeah, point, you know, I don't think it matters. Matter. But they then move. Like once Andrews dies, and they find out that Shirley's pregnant, they relocate their whole life up to St. John's, Newfoundland, to try to fight for custody of. Zachary. Well, well, and going into that, let's go into a little bit of he had uh, he he was once engaged to a, a, a lovely girl of his own of his peers who was also a uh, a medical student. He was mm-hmm. engaged to a girl, and they were obviously had a great relationship. I don't think Andrew took it very well when they when she no, stood up. She they were engaged. Yeah. They weren't just like dating. That somehow she said, "Yeah, I think we can go on." I don't think he took it very well. Then he dated a girl who's twelve years his mind. He was twenty eight. She was forty. Right, and she had. Two or because well two he went to kids. med school in Newfoundland yeah. sure and that's where, where he, he met, met her. her and she's Canadian she's a Canadian, Canadian citizen which is why she went back and to Canada she she was twelve years as a senior <laughs> and had two uh, she had two she had kids two by kids two, different guys two different guys that she apparently sort of abandoned and like let like she wasn't really that good of a that's, mother that's obviously what it appeared that she wasn't probably restraining <laughs> orders at this point I mean there was a lot of like red well she flags. had a bunch of. Once they did look some looks into her background, they found a bunch of restraining They found a bunch of like problems. Yeah. Eight of them or something. Well, those Take restraining those. orders had to I do... boyfriends. Um, no, those were all of the people that, whenever she was released from prison, she wasn't allowed to contact. Like, Kate and David were two of the people on, uh, the, that's on that right. list. That's right, yeah. And yeah. it was other, like, friends of Andrew. So, basically, she was told not to have contact with any of the people that were involved in the case and try to influence the case. Because she's... You know, she was in Canada fighting extradition, right? And Correct, yeah. they're trying to extradite her. But, you know, when Kate and David go there, they they say in the movie a couple of times, they say in Canada, the, the courts move slow, oh my right? God. So it's yeah. just a really slow process. And this was a really great example of the editing because he would, he would work out, like, the, the, the schedule of, like, what was happening. So they, he would say, and that's when he would speed up his narration. He'd say, like... Right. March first, they held a hearing to discuss a little minor point, and then and then he's got the ticking clock in the background. Yeah, it's so it great. Really yeah. and then he goes to the next day, and he sh- just shows you, lays out for you how long it takes for them to just even get to the ability to even you know have the extradition case. They got due to a translation from French to yeah. English. They have to delay it another two weeks. Within this time, she was able to make it from point A to point B and get out of there. Yeah, it's, it was like so well done. Pain. I love, I love. I mean, it's just 
the whole movie's like that. This just that's just one good example of where he covers a lot of ground yeah. in a little bit of time. Well, and, and moments but he after, like yeah. he really is able to communicate how much time is being wasted. Even though he's doing it in a very short period of time. I think even uh, at one point, there's a point where it's like a weird form of compressed After the murder, you know, after the murder, they're kind of pinging her um, tower, um, the the towers that she's making cell phone calls from. Oh, right. And kind of finding out her lies. But they, because it took, because they had to look, at one point it said, because they had to look manually into the cell phone towers, it actually took weeks to really find out where she was. You couldn't find it, just you couldn't punch it up immediately. They, there's some process to go through to find that out, which gave her more time to sit in Canada and pretty much be safe from it all. Yeah. I mean, what's really heartbreaking is that whole thing with where his best friends is like, you know, this woman is apparently calling him and leaving 30 plus messages on his cell phone in a night and on his phone. At one point, he had over 30 calls yeah. of messages because he's kind of blown her off because she's just too wacko. And his friend's like, Man, if she if you break up with a girl, you send a girl on a plane, you send her sixteen, and she comes back and drives sixteen hours to come back. Yeah, I'm going out. So the she back. drove from I'm, like Iowa to I think they were in Pennsylvania. That sounds right. The yeah. night that she killed him, and yeah. and, and the, the guy said if she drives sixteen hours after you break up with her, you know, if she came to my door, I'd be going out the back door. Right. He's like, all right, well, you could you go meet her and meet I like me at seven thirty. I that do guy too. That yeah. that, he like he was like one of the most. He, he, was, he seemed like an entry. Oh, oh. Everybody in this movie is is a well-developed character, I feel like. Even if they have a couple of seconds, mm-hmm. even if they say two sentences in the whole thing, you kind of feel like you know that guy. Yeah, it's like they have the, the one example is, and there's a tie to, we record this in St. Louis, and there's a tie to St. Louis in this story. Yeah. And that's that I think David was originally from here. Yeah. Um, but there's one character that I guess was Andrew's cousin, who's sort of, for lack of a better word, sort of a, a rednecky yeah, guy. Big, big yeah. Dude, yeah, yeah, big so dude. Keeps his arms crossed, acts really tough, and yeah. he speaks with an accent that some we're probably pretty familiar yeah. with. God knows, we, yeah. We hear this sitting kind of country Sitting in front of a accent. cabin in the woods, yeah. basically. And even he, like, you know, this real... This Literally sitting of, in front of a yeah. cabin in the woods. And this he was also, like, played... Andrew was uh, conceived in St. Louis. That was also stated in the documentary. Was he? Yeah, it was like, they had tried and tried to have a bunch of kids... Or they tried to have a, a child, and it, it all oh yeah, failed. I forgot about that. And they said, "Well, everyone everyone makes a baby in grandma's room or something like that." And they actually had uh, sex in the room in the guest room of whatever. And apparently, a lot of a lot of the family had, had made it through there from yeah. Mojo. That I yeah, like apparently everybody knows that people are conceived. Yeah. Entire, <laughs> like whole family members are conceived There's in this like, one room in grandma's house. Which is kind of a weird. Um, always works. Yeah, but he was conceived in St. Louis. But even I, that that cousin guy, he was like a really well developed character because they he yeah. had this like really tough exterior, but he, you could see he got really emotional. Well, that priest, they only talked to him like. Oh, that's great. He only yeah. says like three three words in the whole thing. Yeah, he, he doesn't has, say much. Not much. But he has like a he has like a whole like you you feel like you know that guy now uh-huh. though. Like yeah. especially is that reaction. I still can't get over the brilliance of like cutting to him. Are oh, you talking about the reaction. priest? The priest. Okay, so the, the priest yeah, let's talk about. It. We talked about that before, but let's talk about that 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 cut yeah. and what was going on there. So they were interviewing David, yeah, and David was talking about the different fantasies that he had had over time about how to deal with the situation, and one of them was. He was going to wait for a night when Kate took a sleeping pill. I think he was going to give her a sleep. I think he was going to even going to chop one up and throw it in her drink. No, I think I think he would no, give her one. Yeah, I think she okay. normally takes up. Did I misunderstand yeah. that? But he was going to wait for a night when she took a sleeping pill. Then he was going to get out of bed, go over to Shirley's house, and kill her. And that way, even though he he anticipated getting caught, 
Right. Then when he was caught and put in prison, Shirley would be gone, and then Kate would get... No accessory to it. Because he was so certain that she was so nutso that that baby was not safe with her. That was his... Well, yeah, that was his reason. that was his logic, and when he describes that, it's like frightening, oh, right? Yeah. And it's just like, and you can tell he, that's a guy that really thought about doing yeah. it, and, 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 really you, and can you blame him? No, no really. No, no, I no. mean, I can't blame him. Be, putting, I don't know if I would have been thinking any differently. I don't know if I would be as no. good of a man as that. They, uh, I think, you know, I don't think I would. I mean, David and Kate were obviously exemplary people, yeah. and they yeah. were. Uh, amazing, and they were the thinking thing. about murder, right? You know? Well, they were thinking about suicide upon David, upon Andrew's death. Yeah, they'd say, well, "Let's just kill ourselves." Yeah, and have done with it. So, but so the cut that we were talking about, the priest, is when he's explaining. David, that, David tells that story, and yeah. it just hangs there for a second in the air, like he doesn't. I think they even hold on him, like mm-hmm. after he just there's yeah. this moment of silence. They cut to the priest, and all it is is the reaction of the priest going. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's like, All and right. then he goes, I guess there's a logic to it. Yeah. And then they cut back to David. And that's like, it's so brilliant. But, he, but like that, it's that such priest a... is making the same point that you are that, like, hey, I think if I were in that situation, know, I might yeah. contemplate that I same thing. I think an example of like, the reason that character works is because he's a proxy for the audience in that show, mm-hmm. in that yeah, scene. Absolutely. He's like, that's what you're thinking. And he lets the audience like kind of feel okay that, to, that like, yeah. he had the same thought. Because when I'm watching, I'm going, well, yeah, that, that could work. Well, why not? Yeah. But you kind of feel bad about it when he turns around and says, oh, there's a logic in it. And yeah. you kind of go, yeah, there is. He doesn't you, say it's okay. You, yeah. The priest's got to understand there's a logic, the logic in it. Because, so it's exactly. a big... <laughs> because surely... Me, there's no moral judgment being... Yeah. Pa- I, mean, I, I mean, I think... Yeah, I mean, it, it, nobody's like making a moral judgment here. It's just like, I could understand why you would want to do that you know and i don't know if that i I don't know if he could convince a jury with that i think he probably could i don't think he was worried about getting off no i don't think so either i don't think so either he might have gotten off though honestly well canada laws good god (laughs) well yeah Yeah. who knows with canada i I think part of the problem with her getting her back to the united states is that canada probably has their legal system set up in a way that protects Canadian citizens from being easily because we share such a long border with them Mm -hmm. they probably have some mechanisms in their system that are set up to prevent the U.S. from easily extraditing people. Right. They, they make the process purposeful. Certainly purpose, seems so, purposefully but then hard, to, uh, Which I can understand, yeah. just because you don't... Canada is a sovereign country. It needs to have its independence from the U.S. It can't be... Right. It can't have its citizens feel like they're being... But know, where they really fucked up in this was that they... And, and they make this point in the film a couple of times, is that the Canadian government let this lady walk around oh, free. yeah. And she was accused of murder. There was pretty much no doubt that she pretty was indisputable. Guilty, guilty of the murder. Yeah. Yeah. And she's walking around in St. John's, Newfoundland free with a baby, right? With not only that, but she had a stack of paper on her. She had a record. Yeah. And they, the judges made these decisions without looking at mm-hmm. her record. Right. If they had taken a cursory look at any, we have case net here, right? In the U.S., sure. like in in Missouri, you can go on case net, you can look up anybody's name and see if they have a record. It's very easy to do. You can, or if they have a history of lawsuits or whatever, and it kind of gives you an idea of what kind of person you might be dealing with. It's not necessarily indicative of who they are, but like mm-hmm. gives you an idea. Are they a tr- does somebody have like eight? Restraining orders against them that kind of gives you a clue that this person isn't Are, exactly is that, stable. Is that admissible though? I, that might be an admissible. I think. I don't think it was. I don't think because it's not related to this baby or this kid or the thing. You know, I it mean, speaks to. I don't know. I don't know if. I don't know. You're talking about Canadian law. I don't know if it was admissible true. in I, Canadian honestly, court. I think the judges should have 
I think that's part of the reforms they pass, that the judges kind of have to look at people's records before they make those determinations. Yeah. yeah. But because if she had, if the judge had just merely did a little name search uh-huh. on there to see what kind of paper she had, she, it would have thrown up all kinds of red flags. She had eight restraining orders. I don't, I don't care how nice of a person you are. Sure. If you have eight restraining orders against you, that tells me... And she was, she was clearly... <laughs> There's something going on with you that I probably right. yeah. should keep my distance. She was you know? clearly mentally ill and she had some kind of... I don't know, some kind of attachment issues or something yeah, like that, where she, she would had, become very strongly she, she attached to somebody. Had, well, she owned the caliber of the gun that was used, as well as the exact, she had been known to have used the exact ammunition in her training course, the CC, whatever whatever type of ammunition. She had that that caliber and that actual ammunition. Yeah, it was a twenty two. Yeah. She had just bought a twenty two. She bought literally. it, took lessons. And the cops are like, we want to find like, okay, I, I think it might be, I think it's in my closet and they, or in it's my in car. the car. Yeah. And the way they spell like, it, oh, no. the way they spell it out. I think the cops knew it immediately. I know. They're like, this this lady's We're going to need to see that gun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let me see. Oh, that phone conversation she had yeah. with that police officer. It's so clear that she's lying. Oh, she's, yeah. Where she's just like, oh, yeah. She says something at first like, oh, I kind of know him or we're not romantic. And then later she's saying, we're like, totally in love. Oh, yeah. We're, we're really in love. And then when he says to her, well, I'm sorry, I have to tell you that uh, Andrew's dead. Her response, well, I forget exactly what she said. She was, I think it's just something like, are you sure? And it just sounded so false. And then she starts going into worrying about the parents. Don't tell the mother without, without uh, the dad there. Present, yeah. And it's clear just how false and, and, and fake she's being. She kept saying, I'm not going to lie to you. And it was, <laughs> right. that was like a cue. It's like, Man, I think you are lying when you say that. You know, I... I've come to the point in my life where if anybody ever says that, like I'm not going to lie to you or I'm not lying to you, I pretty much assume they're lying to me. That's, good, <laughs> that's exactly. just like a good <laughs> rule of thumb. But they, you know, and they drive this home again in the film about just the fact that she was she clearly murdered this guy and walking away free. But even worse than walking free is they locked her up. They locked her up for, for this. Yeah. And then she wrote to the judge. And the judge wrote her back oh. and told her how to write an appeal to get out. And then a second oh, judge comes into the court, co- courtroom and just basically, you know, like fawns all over her about like, oh, uh, you're, a, you're a doctor, so you must be very smart. And, right. and writes in her thing. And this is the one line they kept repeating, like, or they repeated a bunch of lines in the movie, but um, something about how she's not a threat to the general public. Yeah. And and David makes the point, the father makes the point, he goes, yeah, she, they're saying she's not a threat to the general public because she killed the only person she wanted to kill. Yeah, exactly. He was the one she's mad at, so they're saying it's safe for her to walk free because the only problem she's not going to kill other people. So after that, it's, it's you know, she's not going to kill everybody but out there. But then there's eight other people have restraining orders against her. Yeah. Well, I like... like like Jacob said, though, I think that was part of that because upon her release, she has to be disconnected from a lot of people. Yeah, I'm not sure. Those weren't people that filed restraining orders against her. Those are people that were involved in the in the in ex- the actual case of case. this. Yeah, because there's two cases going on here. You have the case of her fighting extradition, but then you also have the 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 case of um, custody of Zachary because they were they were fighting to get custody or Kate and David were fighting to get custody of Zachary, and then you have these crazy scenes in there where. They, Kate and David have to meet with Shirley in order to see Zachary, and they spend like the whole day with her, going to like the zoo and things like that. The girl that murdered their only son that they ever had. Oh and, my and god! They, they gotta to hang out with her. They gotta hang out with her, and, and they recorded all of these phone conversations that they had with her. And on the phone with 
with um with Kate and David, she would just she would push it. She was wasn't she asking like, uh, could you put up a picture of me and Andrew and together? Andrew, well, in the house. For that. Yeah, in yeah. the house. It was like what the you you, you killed our son. <laughs> the only reason I don't think I'm ready for that. Okay, and it was like completely understood. Okay, oh, okay, you know? yeah, like, like we'll work our like way up. She to was that gonna one. like. Get them to work the way. Yeah, work, get them. And then she would say things like, I'm not sure if I can trust you guys to be with Zachary. And, you know, not that I think you're going to hurt them, but I don't know what you're saying to him. And it's like, clearly you're the threat to Zachary, not Kate and David. You know, I mean, they're, I just can't imagine what those two had to go through. You know, it would be bad enough to sit in a courtroom across from her as she stood trial for your son's murder, but to have to go and, and interact with her and like yeah and they would have to take for a while while she was locked up they got custody of zachary and then because they she had somehow worked out where they had to drive an hour and a half every weekend to the prison to take zachary to see her yeah so they had to get in canadian weather in the winter time yeah and they had to drive two hours two hours just to see the woman that murdered their son yeah I can't imagine. It was that. awful. I cannot. They they really had to hold their nose the entire time and just play play a face that was so. And they were amazingly I stoic. Can't about even it. imagine all that pain that would be shooting through your body while you're in any proximity of this awful woman it's around horrible. a baby, no less. It just ugh. So I guess since we already said we're gonna skip spoilers, we can just go ahead and talk about the the major twist here. A major well, bomb in the middle. He hasn't. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. Well, Ainsley, Ainsley's recording for a The major twist here is that Shirley kills Zachary and herself, right? Takes Zachary. In a, in a pretty horrible way, too. In a pretty horrible, in a way where she was trying to frame another guy. So she That's got obsessed true, with right? another guy after Andrew was dead. Went, went on like two dates with her, her, or with him. And then his friends found out about that she was accused of murder online. And so he tried to break it up. So she went to his house. She left a used tampon in his yard and like some pictures in his yard. Mm-hmm. Then took some some medication. I forget exactly what it was. Ativan. Yeah, Ativan, and gave it to Zachary, and then jumped into the Atlantic Ocean and killed both of them. So now you've got this Kate and David, right? There's this nice couple from California. Did their best Trying to raise... to save their grandson from yeah. their son's murderer. Yeah, and this woman... That's the best, have... essentially, what it boils down to. And... Yeah. And now their son and their grandson are both dead at the yep. hands of this one psychotic woman who just took everything from them. And the kind of, you know, the, the big story that this becomes at the end is, you know, it no longer can be a letter to Zachary anymore, right? Because Zachary's not going to grow up to see it. So it kind of becomes more of a letter to Kate and David and of their sort of resilience through all of this. But also... You know, it really, it took them, they became activists, right? Because Zachary's death changed the shortcomings of yeah, uh, what... Of what, Canadian law. Yeah. So these two Californians go up to St. John's, Newfoundland and fight to change the Canadian law because um, had the law worked properly, Shirley would have never been out of prison and been able to, to kill herself and kill Zachary. Oh my God, and yeah. they were able to do it. I mean, they were able to affect quite a bit of change. Yeah. They, uh, there's a follow-up that you can go see on YouTube if you really like this movie. I forgot I, to I, do that from last week. That's right. Oh God. I highly recommend going yeah. and looking at the follow-up. There's a 15-minute follow-up done exactly the same style as the movie itself that sort of chronicles um, all the accomplishments that the movie and David and Kate have. Well, I wouldn't say the movie has... 
movies don't do that. But mo- the movie helped promote this campaign to reform the bail laws in Canada, and it's sort of it's a it's sort of I don't know what year that was done. 2011, 12? The law? Like I no. The follow-up. The fifteen-minute. I think the, it was. Yeah. Oh, the follow-up one. Yeah, I, I don't remember maybe. either. So it's a few years later. That mo- this movie came later, out in yeah. 08. This update was made in 2013, I think. Okay. So six years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I um, meant to, to follow that up, but yeah, apparently changes were made to uh, to yeah. the laws in Canada. It's pretty interesting. Is it called Zachary's Law? Yeah, they passed. I think it was called Zachary's Bill. So Zachary's they, Bill, they, right? They did pass the law, um, and I don't know the exact details of it, but the, it um, has something to do with where they weren't able to hold people, or they they had to hold people in prison. Um, that were accused of murder. Capital crimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they weren't able to release them on, on bail. Um, um, if you look certain. at Kirk Kenny's YouTube uh, channel, he one of the he's only got about five videos up there, but one of them is the the 15-minute follow-up. Yeah, and like yeah, you said, it, sure it, it is. is yeah. um, it's exact same. So it basically looks like it was from the movie, so it's yeah. edited it in the same way. You could easily, they could easily release a version of this movie where they just tack this on the end. And it would, look, shot and it would just equipment? be like... No, it looks like it's all the same. Wow. I don't even know if... The, well, there is some new footage in there. Yeah, yeah there there's is. definitely some new footage in bunch there. Of stuff, bunch of, it has a bunch of footage from them doing different testimonies they gave, the different com- can- Canadian you know, government committees and things. And then there's a bunch of footage of them at film festivals with, when this thing opened. And then also different activists. I think there, there was like a activist movement around this. How'd this movie do? I guess I suppose it did pretty well. So huh? this is a, really actually, it, it was so, very, I don't know how it did commercially. Not well. $18,000 in box Woo! office. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is that this is an activist film and it wasn't really necessarily about the money. Right, and I think sure. he donated any money the movie made to right, sure. the campaign itself. So it wasn't. This is a good example of a movie that was made without any of a. Do, any, there's a lot of do, probably a lot more documentaries like this than any other type of movie. Yeah. But it's a movie made with the intent of. It's an. It's literally an activist movie. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So which is a style of documentary. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. Um. The great thing about documentary films is there's as many styles as there are, are p- kinds of people in the mm-hmm. world. But you know, one of the general styles that people everybody recognizes is an activist documentary right. and this is done in a first person style meaning that the narrator is in part one character in the yeah film. and you 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 um, are you are kind of iffy on that style i know you don't like that that I'm much generally not a big fan of like I mean, but I've this seen, film couldn't have been made by anybody but kirk any i mean i i'm not a big fan of that style only because i think there's been a lot of bad movies made in that style yeah you know you're talking about my movie Bill? i'm not talking <laughs> about exactly precisely <laughs> Um, and it's and it maybe it's I don't know it's not a style that I would practice necessarily I can't imagine myself making a film like that because that honestly it's not part of who I am or how I like to present myself or anything mm-hmm. like that so another good example is well Michael Moore does this style of film although Michael Moore isn't really a character in the film he's sort of an expository character you know who I think does um, a good example so. of that and I don't know if you've seen any of them but. Um, have you seen Bigger, Stronger, Faster? Uh, yeah, that's Errol Morris as well, right? No, no, you're thinking of Fast, fast cheap, cheap, and Out of Control. Oh, Fast, Cheap, and Bigger, Stronger, Faster is about steroids. And it's oh, about, yeah. And, and then Chris, Chris Bell, I believe his name is, is the guy who directed it. And it, him and his brothers were all big like um, weightlifters and okay. bodybuilders and things like that. So he is in the story. Does and then, he write yeah. up himself, do you think? Yeah. Uh, well, watch the movie. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's talked about yeah, in there. Well, it's a common style for activist films. Number one, it works really well for activist films because it's sort of you know it's a first person story and mm-hmm. people have 
can relate to those really well. And so another example would be the one about McDonald's. The uh, oh god, yeah, it's super size me, super size me, right? Is a first person, which we have a follow up narrative. Chicken document. size me or something. Yeah. He's making a chicken sandwich movie. So uh, Nick Broomfield as well. I'm a big yeah. fan of Nick Broomfield stuff. Yeah. So, I, I, but in this case, the, uh, but in this, so I, I know what you're saying in, in the. But I've seen a lot movie. of bad. I mean, people. Nobody no. remembers the bad documentary. So, right. but I, I feel like I've seen a lot of bad documentaries are done in this style. It's a hard. I think it's harder to do well than people realize. Yeah, you know. But well, this I, one definitely had to be done this way. I mean, yeah. This, yeah. No, I feel like this movie, like nobody else, could have made this movie. No. It would have been totally and I, and sterile think, and and so unexuberantly yeah. uh, done. And I, I think it's and it's a, it's an interesting case, regardless. Like like. He, they did make like a Dateline or something like that about this story, yeah. and somebody could have made another just kind of straight documentary about this story. Straight but facts, the yeah. fact that he had all of this yeah. footage and he had a personal relationship with these people, and I think his ability because he knew Kate and David, like he grew up with them, yeah. and so he was probably able to get them to open up in a different way during the interviews than say some just reporter. Oh, I, I think that absolutely in. his connection to the material think, probably you know. Gave there him are so three much things more. that make this movie work really well, okay. and then. And, Old news for you guys. You've already heard me say this. But there are three things that really make this movie work. Is One is the character development, which I think is one of those things that make any movie work well. Like, no movie works well without characters, you know? Sure. And so the character development is so well done, and nobody else could have exposed these characters the way Kirk Kenny did because he grew up with all these people. Yeah. Most of them, anyway. And there are important points. I'll let you finish your point. And the people he didn't grow up with, he had somebody that he loved in common with. So that gave him a a sort of a personal connection. And a lot of times you could tell in the interviews, they were kind of more having a conversation because he would show the people talking back to Kurt. They'd be like, oh, I bet you were going to do this, Kurt. So they they knew him well. And then the next thing that makes it work is just the skill, his skill as an editor and a Mm -hmm. filmmaker. I think that's such a big thing in this. I mean, I... And we... I, I'm going to stop saying yeah. we already talked about it last time, but the the musicality of the editing in this, like it really feels like it, the way that it speeds up and then it slows yeah. down. It it's, feels like well, he's a, so that was the other he, point I was going to make is that he's a he's he's a musician as mm-hmm. well, and you don't necessarily get this from this film because he doesn't really talk about it, but he scored the film. If yeah, you read the, the credits, he scored the film. He's actually. If you read his IMDb credits, he's actually been credited for scoring other things as well. Yeah. But I think the fact that he's a musician informs his editing. Yeah, right? absolutely. Because yeah. I feel like this movie has a rhythm, and he has a really good sense of rhythm as a musician. Yeah. And, I, and I've always like appreciated that connection between you know, there's really only two art forms that you can that I can think of that have this like that are linear. Mm-hmm. And like you have to listen to them in, or you have to appreciate them in time, right? Mm-hmm. There's audio and there's video, right? There's like film, there's music and audio, right? Those are two things that you can You can look at a painting and know in an instant if you like a painting or not, but like you have to spend some time with a film and you have to spend some time with some audio piece to really appreciate it. And somebody who understands music, another art form that ha- has to happen in time, mm-hmm. you know, is 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 really well adapted to do film editing or video editing or whatever, you know, so. I was just looking it up because you mentioned it, and I had never looked before, but you're right, he has done quite a few. Um, he's got like 14 credits as just a composer. Yeah. Now, some of those are on his own work, obviously, but he is. He's an accomplished, you know, filmmaker from a number of dis- different disciplines of filmmaking, you know, composing being one of them. But, so, I mean, the, the, the third giveaway, the third thing that made this movie, like, 
a no-brainer was just the fact the story is just so compelling. Right. And the, um, the editing you mentioned, I wanted to talk about the Bulls. You and I discussed, we both loved theirs. When he's explaining Andrew getting shot, and they talk about it, Andrew shot, I think, five or six times. Oh, God, And yeah. while he's saying, he says he was shot in the head, he was shot in the buttocks, and all they're doing... All they're, they're showing doing that, a sleeping baby They're showing the Andrew's baby them. pictures. Like, the, when they say he was shot in the side of the head, they show a baby picture of Andrew on the side of the head. And it's just such an impact because it's like, you know, we hear these stories all the time about, you know, this, there was a shooting here, this person died. But when you, like, it's put up more baby it, picture, the you really bring the position yeah. of the audio, the telling of the story of his and thing you, cut in into this little sequence kid. with the little baby. Oh, yeah, there's a great, there's so, a great and you're realizing so that this baby you're looking at, like, yeah. that that head that, that you see on that little baby is the same head that later got exactly. shot, right? I mean, it's just, it was a brilliant decision. I mean, I just think there are so many good... There's also a good reveal there. early on where they're describing how they're going up to how they're basically witness, looking at the, witnessing the dead body, and they have a shot of... Um, Andrew with a, a fly swatter in front of his face, and like we looked at the face, and there was a really cross cut with him as a child covering up his face with this fly swatter, and then revealing it right when they. they you know, one choice face. that I I thought was interesting, and I noticed it both times when I watched this recently, is they show Andrew's dead body, but they don't show it until way later in the film. It's very end, yeah. Yeah, I mean they 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 talk about his shooting early in the film. Well, they show a picture of it in the. It's place of death, end. I believe, right? What's that? It's, Where he was murdered. Yeah, it shows in, in the, the place park. Of death. They're like yeah, crime the scene photos. But they don't. But I would have thought maybe a lesser filmmaker would have put that right early in the beginning. I think right? so too. This guy made a lot of really subtle, thoughtful choices mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing, and, it, yeah. and some of them were they go by in a split second. But when you, as soon as you see them, you appreciate them, and and the ones you don't see and don't appreciate necessarily like build the story. Right. I think it actually happens and, a little bit before because I watched a little bit before again. And I think there's a blip that you might not have known because there's so much going on. You're inundated. It's almost like watching. Um, it's almost like Alec in uh, Clockwork Orange, where his eyes being pried open. You know, there's so many images strobing on the screen. Yeah. You might miss certain because I think they do show that almost in the first half before they reveal. These guys. So I don't think Kirk Kenny, Kirk Kenny, and Andrew would have been just a few years younger than me, maybe. Uh, you know, so, uh, they're born in '73. '73. So yeah. yeah. So they're, you know, not that they're sort of of my generation, I think. And like, you know, they're, he's a, he's what they would call like back in the 80s. He was what would, would, the style would be called like an MTV style. Oh, it would be, right. Kind of documentary. But like, you know, it's a very Gen X, I guess, in some ways. Well, he's a tween when that style came out. And uh, so, but it's so well done. Like, he's a master of it. And he's so. I have no like this movie. Like I have no end of my respect of Kirk Henning. I tell you, I tell you another style of of this that actually predates the MTV. They call this essay films too. That's another. Oh, um, essay. And, yeah, and that's it, another. Yeah. Right. You know, we'll say invented by uh, Orson Welles in Effort Fake in '75. That actually has a remarkable precursor precursor to the rapid editing and the multi-imaging oh, yeah. and the cross-posing. I'm glad you... You know what? Yeah. I had made that connection, but, but you're yeah, absolutely Orson Welles right. Orson avid comment. Yeah, exactly that. That is... Yeah. We should talk about that movie. We should do that this, movie. On this, F is for fake? F, F is for fake. fake yeah. I've never seen it. It's Oh my God, amazing. it's so good. Yeah. yeah. I've heard it as much, but I haven't seen it. Oh, you should see it. You should see it. I think you're absolutely right, though, that this is one of those movies that probably owes a debt to F. I think MTV owes a debt to Orson Welles for for creating, well, you know, I guess composers of videos that... Orson Welles is so far ahead of his time, I think. You know, it's... 
It's uh, somebody should write about that someday. I think. Yeah, there should be something. There's a information hours as well as out there. <laughs> Why isn't he recognized? Yeah, how come nobody even writes about Orson Welles? <laughs> nobody cares about Orson Welles. Nobody cares about Orson Welles. But yeah, uh, along that lines. But yeah, definitely exactly that narration, cross cutting, um, and just c- comprised multiple images that may or may not. Yeah, just be completely. It's really, yeah, that fast paced. Boom, boom, boom. Can you control. imagine like just the editing process that this took and how long it took him? I mean, you think about and, and about the technology at the time. So. It's, we shot it on mostly on mini DV. Yeah, um, he would have edited on a good final cut or something. He probably he, shot editing was probably as good seven. as it would have got. You know, he 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 was blessed when he made it, where he actually didn't have to spend any money to do the hard work. Uh, he probably the sound can, uh, sound mix in the early probably. days. Hard drives and stuff would have been in two thousand three, two thousand four. Like he would have been he spending a lot of money on hard drives. I think you know, yeah, a few thousand dollars. Yeah. On, but he would, but he had he must have had so much footage. I yeah, mean, he did. Well, he, he, the shots of it in the actually now I'm getting the the two version the the, the follow up yeah. mixed up with the I feel I like two. Yeah. So I think the in the follow up movie that he released the 15 minute follow up movie there are shots of all the tape uh, boxes of tapes. Yeah, I think I remember seeing I one have like boxes in the of, of a tapes truck, exactly like, oh, like that. Right, exactly. I have up in my storage closet. Yeah. I have. I have several big plastic bins. But he had to take all of that footage that he shot, digitize, digitize it, and go through it. And then plus all of the the still images too. Yeah. And back then, yeah, that was uh, those. He was probably physically placing each one of those on a scanner. And, yeah. And scanning those. Perhaps. Out, so. Yeah. He did. He did. He did. He said he brought it. He brought the 16 mil that that weird Kronskov, uh, which is a Russian sort of Bolex. Um, and then he had the uh, Nikon still camera, which you do. I do see. I noticed the second time around noticing is like, oh, this is probably shot on the 16 millimeter. You know, I think that like the whole like the slideshow format is like kind of a lost format in documentaries too. Is like you know the idea of like you just make a film out of a bunch of photographs, right? right? So like, well, Kid right. Stays in the Picture is sort of a rev- revival of that style, but like yeah. back in the 70s. In the 60s, it was more common to see oh, yeah. films that would have a lot of... There were whole slideshow presentations. The only, do you remember those really complicated slideshow presentations they used to do in the 70s and 80s where during, they had like two six slides, different slide yeah, right, projectors and, you, and they'd be all synchronized and they'd run with a music program and a voiceover and everything. And a dissolve. They'd have dissolves. Yeah, in they would dissolve like between, yeah, them between them. And yeah, them. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was crazy. Like I sold that kind of equipment at Helix uh, Avian Underwater in Chicago in the yeah, 90s. And it yeah, was... So. so I want to go back just a little bit, guys, because we were talking about the box office or about the how did it perform yeah, and stuff. Because I, I was... I found out about this movie because I happened to have some good friends that are from St. John's, Newfoundland. And so this was obviously a very big story there. Interesting. Okay. So they turned it on to me. So, But I was uh, living abroad at the time when this happened. So among my little group of people, this was a very popular film and everybody watched it. And I was very surprised like that you two hadn't seen it. I was very surprised that it only made $18,000 in the box office. So <laughs> I just think that I think this doesn't get the recognition that it deserves. No. I don't think it's been seen by as many people as it should see it. And it's completely available, at least at this moment upon dropping, is um, on uh, streaming on Prime if you have a membership for yeah. free, which is nice. And yes. you said, I think there's a copy on YouTube. Floating there's a YouTube there. copy. It's not a legit copy. So go, yeah, you can go, go to Prime or something and check get, it get out a, now. Well, give uh, the people some it's money. On, it all gets donated to Zach. Where is this? 
it's on Prime, right? Yeah, I watch. Yeah, it you on can Prime. watch it for free in Prime. But I just feel like more people, people should, should see this Prime. movie now. It is, and I'll. I think there's fair at the warning. time of this recording, this <laughs> is a very emotional movie. I mean, I don't think anybody can make it through this movie without tearing up at oh least a couple God, of times. Yeah, I mean, I was, I cried it's, through uh, the whole thing. But so it is. I if you like, and you know. One of the upset. things that I really loved, another just another testament to like how expert of a storyteller he is. This could have easily have been a one note movie because mm-hmm. it really is. Like if you tell the story just flat out, just say exactly what happened, it's a fucking still it's a, the whole thing's a downer. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, it's just There's a sad nothing, story. It's yeah. just a sad story. But he managed to tell it in a way that had ups and downs. There were parts where there were funny. Mm-hmm. There was like you know he manages to make it. A, a well-rounded experience, I guess I, I, I want to say. Like, he, and I, I think that comes back to what you were saying earlier, because I think that's really about the characters. Yeah, because like, mm-hmm. you get to know, like, I mean, Kate and David, you get to know them so well. And you know, David to me is one of the most fascinating characters in this because he's such a stoic sort of stand-up guy, and he's a good husband. Seems like a good father. Mm. They always they talk about him in the movie like that he's, he's an engineer yeah, at his core, exactly. like he likes yeah. everything done in steps. But he's got this level, this like this emotional level right underneath the surface yeah. that every once in a while he like loses bursts out. his shit. Like there's yeah. the, right there there's on the one, camera. yeah, there's the one he's scene. Sort where of sh- a type, I think, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of us have known this type. Like he's especially if you grew up in the Midwest, maybe probably everywhere, but like he's sort of like the dad, like the tip. A lot of ways, like that geeky dad type mm-hmm. that I think a lot of us knew growing up. Like one of our friends had a dad that was like this guy. You he know? was very reserved, yeah, uh, very cautious. But there was that kind s- of a weird sense of humor, though. Yeah, like, kind of a goofy, you know? yeah, yeah, silly sense of humor. And you can see that with like his interactions with, uh, like in the in the videos, right? Like when because he would play a character in some of those mm-hmm. movies too. But there's the one scene where Kate is crying during the interview because. Mm-hmm. When David was taken, or sorry, not David, when Andrew was taken from the cemetery to the crematorium, I believe it was, uh, they didn't go with her. And then she felt really awful about that. So she was saying that that's why we went with Zachary all the way to the doors of the crematorium, or, or to the doors of the oven. And she's just really emotional, and then David has this just... He just bursts full of emotion. He's oh, like, yeah. see, this is what that fucking bitch didn't know. This is what she left behind. And, and you just, and that's what I, makes the character. Yeah, I that's love a, the little going late. back to the characters. Because that's what I mean. That's That moment just makes you, you understand him so much right there. You understand, you see him trying to be reserved and trying to be this like, you know, very stoic guy. And then he just can't control that that emotion that's under it. And they, they tease you with that in earlier interviews. They really splice it into some earlier interviews. And yeah. You don't quite get the context until you see the end. You slowly start to see that he yeah. has that emotional depth to him. You know, you yeah, start to yeah. see that he's got some some anger under the surface. And it, and it peeks through every once in a while, which just makes it not one note. Yeah. You know, you know one of the other things that really kind of jumps out at me is, like, the pace of the reveals is so well done. Oh. You know? It's like there's... You know, like I said, you get to minute 20 or 15 or something like that, and you're like, okay, I know everything about this story. Where are they going to go from here? And mm-hmm. then it, obviously there's a number of things that happened after that, but like, there's a number of reveals that happen, right? So the reveal of her going back to Canada, the reveal of her getting her, her, being her, pregnant. her whole bit about being pregnant, her whole bit about like, oh, uh, Zachary gets to live with his grandparents where she goes back to jail, like kind of thing, or... Like, there's a number of steps that, like, each one is dramatic and interesting, and the pace that they're all, that they all happen in the film is so 
compelling. It makes the whole thing just so compelling. I don't know. I, I can't say enough good things about this film. I know. That's why I was saying I feel like this is, I, to me, I think it's a masterpiece. And I feel like a lot, it should be much higher up on people's radars that are, yeah. that are interested in the documentaries. And one of my favorite things about this is all of this stuff that we're saying is this wasn't a big budget project. It was just a, a, yeah. one guy who did all of it. And it shows you what some one person one can person, do. A true auteur, really. Yeah, I but mean, it shows you what they auteur. can really do with documentary. Like, they yeah. can make this compelling. Now, you know, unfortunately, this story had to happen for him to be able to tell this story. But he had, you know, right. he was resourceful and he put all of this stuff together on his own. And it shows you what... You know what the you real, can do with the real crux is that the story. The travel and the obviously mini VD, mini, mini DV tapes, and uh, I mini guess VD that, tapes. the mini VD tapes, which I only had a couple times in my twenties. <laughs> 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 but you could just shows like you know. I mean, to me, that's very inspirational. The fact that he just. He just did it, right? And he did it so well and made, told this great, compelling story. And a, a story that already has this natural good story in there. Yeah, but he I mean, the story was a gimme. And he was in the yeah. eye of the hurricane. Like the story is a gimme. You could put this story in almost any format. I could tell you this story in five minutes and you would find it interesting. You yeah. Know? And <laughs> you would be sad about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, um, he was quite, he was quite and, an, of course. But I think what are. makes the movie, like, he manages to take a really good story and make it even better. Yeah. yeah. By building good characters, by... By For, his skill as a filmmaker, and that fortune with uh, having the the being in the eye of the hurricane and having a packload of VHS tapes that really helps it out a lot too. Right. But you'd said at one point when Zachary died, which you don't even realize is going to think until I mean halfway through you see him like, I wonder where this freaking kid is now and how he feels about his whole life. Well, you know, you you actually when we were recording the episode about the top five true crime podcasts or true crime documentaries, Bulls, you were asking me. About Zachary, and you're like, so what year would Zachary been born? And you were like, oh, well, he'd be about a, he would be about a, a 20 years old or something yeah. now. And I was just sitting there going, oh, don't say anything, don't say anything. <laughs> leave I don't want to ruin it for him. I know you have to. Yeah, you, it's so hard. We it's, almost didn't make it because once the kid died, I watched died, it with my like wife, and she was defeated. like, she was getting right up to the point where, right before the story starts, where Zachary gets killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was like, "Well, that kid's seventeen now. They, what, what's he doing now?" Like right. that's what she was Find saying. That DVD extra. Right? Like she was literally saying that right immediately. Oh no! And which I think kind of shows like how well paced the movie is because uh-huh. right yeah. about the time that you're like wondering, okay, where is Zachary now? They reveal that Zachary's dead. Right. And the reveal, and you were talking earlier about the way they do the reveals and the reveal that Zachary is dead. The editing on that is just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Yeah. I can't even really describe it, but he's got this scream going on in there, and he's like, he's cutting to black a bunch, and kind of, it's almost like flickering, and it's just pure emotional rage. And right. You, you can tell that what he's doing is kind of, I think, what he's trying to do is is show you what David's would have been feeling at that moment, like the yeah. rage that he would have felt. And or, I think you understand just with the visuals and the audio, the way the film is constructed. They don't yet actually even say that Zachary's dead maybe until a full minute into your after you've realized that he's dead. There's a slow on, reveal. Right. Just based on the the way the film is edited. Mm-hmm. Like the editing tells you that Zachary is dead. Yeah, because they start by before anybody actually says it. Yeah, because they start by the, he they got a call or they got a call that he was 
they were missing, right? And right. so some people were some people were saying, "Oh, well, I thought maybe that she had just taken off with the kid." But I think you, as an audience member, know right away. It doesn't they feel say that. Good. You're like, yeah. "Oh wait, where, this where the fuck is this going?" Yeah, yeah, you can you feel that. Like, like, "Oh no, don't tell me that. Don't tell me he's dead. Don't tell me he's dead." And then when they reveal that, they just have all of that emotion. But you're right. The, and that must have been a really tricky thing for him as a filmmaker. Like, how how, how do I bomb. tell this? Yeah, and it's a huge bomb. How do you tell that well? And I think he, I if think we're lucky, off. we'll get a chance to ask him a little bit about his process. I would love to. Talk Is he calling to in later guy. for the uh, podcast? I don't know. I reach out to him. I, who knows? I I sent a link to the podcast. They read it because they sent it to him on Facebook. So yes. somebody read it. So somebody read it. I would love to talk to Kirk Kenny. So Kirk Kenny, if you listen to this, I would love love to talk to you about your Absolutely. process. If you want to come back on, uh, I have nothing but respect for how you treated this film. Yeah, how you made this film. Um, I think, in yeah, fact, yeah. after we talked... I was floored by it. After I, mean, I it was, watched it again and we talked about it a bit, I kind of went and started thinking about that top five true crime documentary. And I was like, man, I think if I did that list again today, this might be number one. It was my number two, but I hadn't seen it in yeah. a couple of years. Well, yeah, and yeah. I saw it again. I'm like, I, it might, yeah, might have bumped up to my number a, one. It's a... It's, you know, it's it's funny. Like, I was talking to an old photographer, and he, said, and he was telling me one time, he just randomly said uh, to me he just pointed out to me he's you know photography is the art of uh opportunity right um mm-hmm. great photographs are like things that only happen in like that split second one split second and there yeah. was a f- photographer that was able to capture that moment somehow this film is a good example of the where f- documentary filmmaking in particular is an art of opportunity as well mm-hmm. in that kirk kenny happened to be so close to this story but also such a good filmmaker to have captured it and yeah. in such a in such a good way. Like he, it was almost like he was being prepped to tell the story. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like that, doesn't you know? it? Yeah, it feels like um, his whole life was leading up to telling the story. Yeah, I don't know if he feels like that, but it it looks like that. And I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying it looks like that. And mm. it's just it's just one of those crazy things where you know somebody. Unfortunately, it, it fell in the hands. The, some one person. The right person was at the right place. Yeah, at the right I was gonna say. Fortunately, it fell into the yeah. hands of somebody who had that skill level on all of, all of these different skills to really treat it with the kind of respect that it de- deserved to be. Yeah, and I love the fact that I mean, and it can't. I don't think it can go unstated that this is a film that's made by one guy. It's one guy, one vision. This is the old one of the a good example of a pure auteur yeah. <laughs> film. I think because. Nobody had any veto. There was no. I, I don't know that there were any producers until after the film was mostly. No, I don't think so. In, in the Probably can, sure not. he didn't have to answer the anybody but himself. He was yeah. telling a very personal story. And if you want to see like film as a solo work, this is a really good example of it because I think he even tremendous. Wrote, yeah. I don't know how much anybody else contributed to this. And, that, and that's what I love because this was just a guy with a camera, yeah. some old VHS tapes, and pictures. And he, you know, gathered all that stuff together and just put it together all yeah, by himself. Boxes of them, but he had to really. And the most amazing things stage. too, and I didn't, I hadn't realized this until you pointed out that he also composed the movie. I mean, yeah. he wrote all the music for it and edited it. Yeah. So just uh, you're you're so the right. Epitome just of the auteur. right guy at the yeah, right time. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. He, it's it's a, it's one of the few examples we see of a film that's like pure, a pure auteur film. You know. But it did, like, like I was saying, uh, MSNBC ended up buying the film. Mm-hmm, um, they aired it on MSNBC a, a few times. I don't know how many times. Yeah. 
Um, but then like they had was, a they had a documentary film label, I guess that they were. Mm-hmm. They, I don't know if that's even still. Well, he might have recouped some expenses. I mean, he didn't have very much. It's obviously, that travel and, and that's about it. Yeah, and time. I mean, he I'm not going to get into film accounting. What's that? I'm not. I don't think it's that interesting to get into film accounting because it can get pretty creative. Right. But right. in general, he he was any money that was made off of this, like I said, was going like you guys said was going. Oh, back it just gets right. Disney would go to him. It gets funneled into. Yeah. Um, and he obviously didn't make this film to make money off of it. You know. No, it was no. never. It was always literally. It was literally a passion project. And it probably led to other jobs. It yeah. seems. Uh, to he, well, he directs television directs now, television, and he does yeah. composing work. Yeah. I think he's. He does. A, he did a lot of direct a lot of episodes of The Blacklist. Yeah, he's. I didn't yeah, know what that was. Which I haven't seen. I think I have. But seen. he posted a. I was I checked out his Twitter feed after I watched this movie, and he's been posting oh, I have clips. He's been posting clips of uh, recent episodes he directed and things. So I'm gonna mm-hmm. have to just based on the fact that this guy that I admire so much because of this movie <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, directs frequently directs and probably has some contribution in writing the blacklist. I'm gonna have to go check out the blacklist. At this point. Yeah, I so. think I mean unfortunately it doesn't. I don't see a way that. Kurt Kenny is able to do another film like this, you know, no. as a kind of story that only comes across, comes yeah. around once in a while. Most people only have one childhood But I think it would be really interesting to see him um, do another documentary, sort of, like any kind of documentary, but in this, in his sort of style, because I'd like, it's... Well, sure, yeah. I like this I don't know, stuff. I don't know, I wouldn't want to hold him to doing uh, the same style again, because I feel like he's probably a great enough guy that he could come up with even a completely different style of documentary that would be equally as interesting, maybe, he but... Um, might not be as I mean, I hold him subject. in that high of regard, you know, but if this is his voice and he wants to do another film like this, that would be great. I would love to see him do another documentary, I feel. But, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if he has any interest in doing that or not. You know, but maybe yeah. composing and directing television is all he wants to do. Yeah, and, and you can't blame him. I mean, he probably yeah. makes a decent living at it. But, yeah, if he, if he ever were to do another documentary, I would, I would definitely line up for it. So, All right, any final thoughts, Bulls? I mean, I, I think uh, think we've summarized. I think we've recapped everything. I think we covered in our, it in our yeah. lost recording from last week, and, and yeah. probably embellished upon. I feel we'll just say so. We did. We recorded it last week. We so we re-recorded it. Yeah. I think this re-recording of it has gone better than expected. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but the general message is here is that we all love it. It's fantastic. Go see it. Everybody should watch it. And, and it's both it. content, which is flooring, but also, especially, it's And if you follow the rules... It's very... Um, yeah, it's yeah if you follow the rules, you have seen it. You have seen it already. So. <laughs> I hope... But, you know, if you, you want to talk about it some more, we have that Facebook group. So yeah. if you want to, like, start a thread about it in Facebook group, I, I'd like... And I think this having... is the kind of movie that people would want to talk about. I yeah. Mean, Perhaps, you, yeah, you know, yeah. It's such a... It, 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 there's just so much going on that you you, you want to sit down and talk to people. Do we about have data on downloads when it comes to this thing? Yeah, we do. Uh, I'm not going to. They're not huge. They're not huge yet, but we'll get there. We'll get there slowly. Uh, yeah. All right. That's it. Okay.